Support for IPR comes from the Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about the Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's a Politics Wednesday edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Joining us today with their analysis, Chris Larimer, professor of political science at the University of Northern Iowa. Hi, Chris. Hey, Ben. Good to be with you. Chris joining us from our Cedar Falls studio. Wayne Moyer is joining us as well, Rosenfield professor of political science at Grinnell College. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Ben. Very good to have you uh, on board as as well. So much is happening uh, on the political landscape. Um, we'll address just news that's been that uh, broke uh, earlier today. A little bit later, we want to talk about the story about the Wisconsin electors settling a lawsuit, agreeing that Biden won in 2020. That hasn't happened before in any of the state uh, where the uh, electors uh, involved in that 2020. Um, uh, uh, suit um, have um, uh, have been uh, have admitted that, but first, this news that broke just minutes ago: Representative Kevin McCarthy, former House Speaker, ousted from his position last month in a revolt by hard right members. Uh, announced today he will not seek re-election to his congressional seat. He'll retire from Congress at the end of this month. Uh, Chris. Reflect on his rise to the speakership and his downfall. For instance, could he have navigated the waters better or given the GOP caucus in the House he was handed? Was it really an impossible task? Well, I think it was going to be a very difficult task, particularly given the agreements that he made in order to become speaker, where it took you know 15 votes back in, in January for him to secure the speakership. Um, it was clear there were factions within the Republican Party. Uh, they were looking for things. They were looking for deals on the budget where there were no compromises. They had changed the rules so that there could be a, a snap vote on the speaker by, by raised by just one uh, member of the House. And so it was going to be a very difficult time in his leadership, and, it, and, and that proved to be the case. Um, you know, his, his stepping down, I think, speaks to perhaps the, the difficulty he was having in terms of the relationships with other members of the House within it, within the Republican caucus, um, that that was a difficult working relationship after everything that happened in January, then obviously everything that happened in October with the with the vote to vacate the, the chair of the Speaker. So it, it was a difficult position. He was in a difficult position after having been, been ousted as Speaker. Um, and it certainly, I think, speaks to just the, as you said, sort of the different factions within the Republican Party in the U.S. House of Representatives and, and, and you know, the difficulties that are facing the, the current speaker. Those those issues have not mm-hmm. gone away um, in terms of, you know, the desire to not compromise on things like the, the U.S. budget, like, thing, you know, things with the national debt. Um, so I think it's going to be difficult for Speaker Johnson going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne, your thoughts as... Um Former uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy steps down at the end of this month, and then uh, Gavin Newsom, the California governor, will have to call a special election. Uh, that's right, and uh, uh, the Republican majority in the House is is decreasing. I mean, they, they lost the congressman in New York, uh, where there'll be another election, and now a California. So it may be that I I think I'm right. They'll have maybe one or two seat majority. Uh, um. Uh, if if the New York congressman is uh, elected as a Democrat, one one thing though about McCarthy I think is important. 
uh, if he had not been speaker, um, we would have had a government shutdown. And uh, he, he, he stopped the government shutdown by working with Democrats. Um, and so from my perspective, at least one should give him credit for that. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the international front as it affects our Congress a- as well. We are seeing that the president is calling on Congress to put aside partisan differences, promptly pass a multi-billion dollar aid package for Ukraine, uh, warning that failure to do so could enable uh, the Russian president to, to reclaim momentum in the war. Of course, this funding, Wayne, we'll turn to you first on this, uh, for Ukraine tied up with funding for Israel, Taiwan, the, the southern border. Where do you see it at this point? Well, I, I think there's a, ch- a strong chance of a stalemate in Congress not being able to pass anything. Um, linking uh, border security in the South or border policy in general with aid to Israel and Ukraine uh, doesn't really seem very closely related. Uh, I think the Republicans see this as a, a good bargaining position for them. They know the border security is a big issue for the Republicans and that they may be able to get more from uh, Biden by making that part of the aid package uh, that uh, is being submitted to Congress. But I uh, I really worry about the foreign policy implications of, of getting the aid package tied up with essentially domestic politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne, what would be, with your foreign policy ex- expertise and your view, what would be the consequences of failing to send more aid to Ukraine at this point? Well, there's some question in terms of of whether the Ukraine will have Ukraine will have enough weapons, particularly shells, uh, to forestall uh, Russian advancement in Ukraine, uh, and uh, Ukraine is fighting the war. There are no Americans in the war, uh, and if they if if they get overpowered by the Russians at some stage of the game, um, and the Russians end up victorious. Uh, then the rest of Europe is under the threat of Russia. And um, uh, so American investment, I think, could be easily justified uh, for preventing that. Mm -hmm. Chris, your view on this aid package? I think it's, you know, it's another example of an of an issue that was once bipartisan, quickly becoming very partisan. Um, you know, support for funding for Ukraine when the war initially broke out, when Russia initially invaded back in in March of the, the of what 2021, are um, you know that how quickly that's gone away. Uh, you know that it's it, it was the case that there was uh, there was a minority of Republicans, particularly in the House, that started to come out against more funding for Ukraine. But you still had uh, Senator McConnell in the Senate, uh, you know, really strongly in favor of of supporting Ukraine for more funding for Ukraine, supporting the emergency bills over the, the last year. But now it, it's been tied to border security, and you're really seeing Republicans kind of coalesce around tying it to border security, and so that this has become just an, another partisan issue uh, in the U.S. Congress. And as Wayne said, you're likely to see stalemate here. This is going to be difficult for Democrats to get around at this point, which means that funding for Ukraine is in real jeopardy right now, which, as Wayne said, that that has enormous implications, right? Every week it seems we're reading about 
that Russia is continuing its its uh, offensive um, in southern Ukraine and, and continuing to push in eastern Ukraine. So that that an issue that was once bipartisan, that there was overwhelming support, has now become very partisan. Um, you know, is you know, I think for a lot of people, it's going to be very disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, um, we have a minute or so before we go to to a break, but for decades. Uh Congressional lawmakers have approved huge amounts of military funding for Israel, few strings attached to that. Now we have a divide primarily in the the Democratic Party. How significant do you see that issue among Democrats and and uh, future aid for Israel? I, you know, it, it, is, it is the beginning of a divide. I think the question going forward is, is will this be a permanent divide? Will this be a divide that affects uh, funding? Um, and, you know, how does this get how is this discussed in terms of you know other emergency funding bills, particularly with with Ukraine? I think that's that's going to be the hard part is decoupling the the funding for for Israel, the the disagreements within the Democratic Party from you know broader disagreements about foreign policy, the, the role of the United States in terms of emergency supplemental funding. There doesn't you know in terms of how long we provide emergency funding, you, it seems like the trend now is to that there is increasingly partisan pushback. Uh, after after a, a relatively short period of time about how long we should provide emergency funding and what is our role in the world in terms of providing that emergency funding. Chris Larimer, a professor of political science at the University of Northern Iowa. Wayne Moyer, Rosenfield professor of political science at Grinnell College, will be back with their analysis and we'll ask them about what uh, President Trump said last night uh, on Fox News, a town, town hall on Fox News. Uh, Sean Hannity asked former President Donald Trump to say categorically he would not abuse presidential power and retaliate against his political opponents if elected next year. Both times, uh, the former president declined to give an outright denial. Uh, We'll hear some of that interview and uh, talk about it when we return. It's a Politics Wednesday edition of River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's a Politics Wednesday edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. On board today with their analysis, Wayne Moyer of Grinnell College and Chris Larimer of the University of Northern Iowa on their uh, political science and departments in their faculties there. And uh, if you'd like to join us, one 780 9100 or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. In just a moment, uh, we'll have their comments on some uh, interesting co- uh, things that uh, the former president said on Fox News yesterday. But first of all, um, this development in that area. Uh, yesterday, federal prosecutors accusing the former president of a long pattern of lying about elections and encouraging violence, saying he, quote, sent supporters to the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, to criminally block the election results. This is a new court filing. Uh, prosecutors working for special counsel Jack Smith 
are going further than they did in their August indictment in attempting to tie Trump to the riot. They said that at Trump's criminal trial in Washington, uh, which is currently scheduled for March of 2024, they intend to introduce evidence of his acts before the November 2020 presidential election and his subsequent alleged threats to establish uh, his motive, his intent, his preparation for attempting to subvert uh, Biden's legitimate election victory. In a written statement, though, uh, Trump's spokesman, Stephen Chung, accused Smith of trying to interfere in next year's presidential election. Uh, He said Trump will not be deterred and will continue speaking truth to corrupt, weaponized power and law enforcement. Wayne, what do you see happening here in this latest filing to the the federal indictment? Well, I, I think probably the most important thing is uh, probably to try to influence the primary process and and get some people who haven't yet decided how they want to vote uh, to become more aware of of some of the things that Trump did uh, before the election as well as the election. I don't think it'll make much difference in terms of the hardcore Trump supporters. But I, I think if, it be, if, if, they, if a case is made and if the court case actually comes to court uh, during the primary season, it could conceivably make something of a difference in terms of, uh, of the voting. Mm-hmm. Chris, your thoughts on this and, and the, how, the, how the president and his uh, people have been reacting, essentially flipping the script, saying, um, uh, you know, you are guilty of what you're accusing me of. Yeah, and that's been their response to a, a lot of this um, as these indictments have been filed. Um, but, you know, as Wayne said, I agree, you know, if if this continues to go forward and if there, new information is revealed about um, intent and motive, as you said, leading up to the 2020 election, then then that mm-hmm. would be significant. And, and as Wayne said, you know, if this, you know, is this if this starts to come out while voters are actually going to the polls and caucuses and primaries, um you know, that would make for quite a contrast in terms of thinking about what the process looks like in 2024, who the nominee is going to be. I mean, Wayne's right that, you know, for folks who are hardcore supporters of the former president, their their opinion's not going to change. We've seen that in polling. But, it you know, it, it could be a factor in terms of where where voters go if uh, if they were le- potentially leaning toward Trump, if if Trump is no longer their second choice, right? We see that in polling even in, in Iowa about, you know, if you're a DeSantis supporter, well, who would be your second choice? And, and it tends to be Trump more so than Nikki Haley. And so does that change the, those calculations a little bit that if you have a candidate that is is maybe not doing as well and, and Trump was formerly the second choice, does he sort of drop out because new information is revealed and you have other candidate, another candidate move in? So I think there are potentially mm-hmm. significant implications there for the primary season. Yeah. And just to remind ourselves in these federal cases, uh, the former president has pleaded not guilty to four charges he faces. Uh, he's accused of plotting to defraud the federal election process, obstructing Congress's certification of the vote in the 2021 Capitol attack, 
also depriving Americans of their civil right to have their votes uh, counted. So we have other separate cases in Florida, uh, in in Georgia, uh, too. Uh, Leave those details aside for, for the moment. Let's listen to what the former president had to say yesterday evening, twice during a Fox News town hall hosted in Davenport last night. Sean Hannity asked former President Donald Trump to say categorically that he would not abuse presidential power and retaliate against political opponents if elected next year. Now, the first time, we won't hear that, we'll hear the second time, but the first time, to put this in context, uh, Trump deflected, saying, you mean like they're using right now? And then he lamented that he's being indicted uh, more times than the gangster uh, Al Capone. Uh, let's listen to the second time Hannity raised that question. We almost have to go to a break. I want to go back to, to this one issue, though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you yeah. under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except Look, what? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill. That's drill, not a that's, drill. That's not, no, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm it. gonna be I'm gonna be, you know, he keeps <laughs> we love this guy. He says, You're not gonna be a dictator, are you? I said, No, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, okay? that, that sounds to me like you're going back to the policies <laughs> when you were president. Okay, last night on Fox News, a town hall hosted in Davenport. Uh, Wayne, what what do you make of the president's deflections there? Well, I I think there are serious questions in terms of just how much he will uh, try to increase executive powers um, and um, change the civil service of the government, their foreign policy implications, uh, in terms of getting out of NATO, pulling back from uh, the Paris Agreement, et cetera, um, uh, picking people around him who are yet completely yes people who've been vetted or intensely loyal to, to Trump. Uh, I think there are ramifications in terms of democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, before I have your view, Chris, let me play another cut. This is uh, from uh, Kash Patel. He's a confident a confidant of, of uh, former President Trump. He served in his counterterrorism as his counterterrorism advisor on the National Security Council, also as chief of staff to the acting secretary of defense then. Uh, he threatened yesterday, and this is really astounding, to prosecute journalists if Trump regains the White House. Uh, Patel likely to serve in a senior national security role in any new Trump administration made the following remarks on a podcast hosted by Trump's former strategist, Steve Bannon. We will go out and find the conspirators, not just in government, but in the media. Yes, we're going to come after the people in the media who lied about American citizens, who helped Joe Biden rig presidential elections. We're going to come after you, whether it's criminally or civilly, we'll figure that out. But yeah, we're putting you all on notice. And Steve, this is why they hate us. This is why we're tyrannical. This is why we're dictators, because we're actually going to use the Constitution to prosecute them for crimes they said we have always been guilty of, but never have. Chris, how much comfort do you take in the checks and balances built into our system 
which has sustained our, our democracy uh, more than uh, two centuries. Um, uh, can they stand up to 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 this? Uh, do you? How serious do you see the uh, the claims of an authoritarian power grab? Should uh, uh, Trump uh, become president again? Yeah, it's a good question. I you know I, I it's, there I, obviously there are still the checks and balances in place, but there are, those those statements are incredibly serious. Um, have very significant implications. So, you know, you can be confident in the checks and balances, but but seriously concerned about statements like that. Um, and, you know, back to the former president's uh, statement from last night about uh, being a, quote, dictator on day one. You know, we already saw the, the Biden campaign put out uh, a statement using that for the purposes of the campaign. When you when you hear a term like that, like dictator, um, that obviously raises serious concerns. And, you know, the former president talked about it in terms of two issues on on border security and and drilling. But I think for a lot of people, there's a concern about are there are there broader issues there? Are there more issues that that are going to come under that term? And so that's that's where people are are really concerned is what does that mean? As, As Wayne said, you know, there have been stories over the last several weeks about the number of people who have who have left government, the number of people in the former president's administration who are willing to push back on some of his policies, that those individuals are no longer in government, um, and that there are, you know, the, the moderates within Congress have have been leaving, particularly on the Republican side. And so if the former president would be reelected and would pursue an agenda, we're really trying to fundamentally reshape government. I mean, he talks on the campaign trail about uh, about going after opponents. Um, would there be the, would there be the pushback and and what would that look like? Because if the former president is elected, then presumably that would be a year in which Republicans do well, which means that then are there Republicans in control of both chambers of Congress, where now you have unified Republican control of the federal government, and where is sort of the the median ideology for elected Republican officials in Congress? And you know, is it is it further to the right, and are they less likely to push back? Out of concern for you, you know their next primary rather than the next general election, so I think the the checks and balances are there. But the, when you hear statements like this and you hear them on a somewhat regular basis, it's, it is very concerning. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be anything is being hidden from us as far as forecasting uh, what is right. may come should there be another um, uh, presidency, another presidential term by Trump. Wayne, your, your thoughts? Do you see it the same way? Uh, I'm, I'm very concerned about it. Uh, uh, the fact that uh, Trump himself continually, as Chris says, uh, is making statements in terms of things that he's likely to do uh, that to enhance presidential power um, and, and, and to violate uh, traditions, violate uh, norms in terms of presidential behavior. Uh, are uh, very uh, discouraging. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, what what about members of Congress, uh, Republican members of Congress? Uh, what is their role? Uh, do you see in the coming months here? What is their situation? They, of course, uh, members of the House want to be reelected uh, if they're Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit the, about the forces that you see they are facing as they look to their own reelections and uh, they look at um, uh, Donald Trump as a faraway front runner for the nomination. 
Yeah, I think those are <clears throat> I think those are ongoing political calculations. Um, you know, they're trying to read the the political winds as well um, to try to understand what 2024 is going to look like. Um, the level of support for the former president. I mean, we, as I've said, we've seen you know moderates in Congress, um, whether it's you know Liz Cheney in the in the House, you know uh, Mitt Romney in the Senate, who are leaving Congress, and so you know that that reduces the number of individuals who could potentially push back on an extreme, if there, if there would be a more extreme agenda, something outside the norm. Uh, but there, but so for Republican members of Congress, though, they are trying to read the political winds. You know, is it going to be a year that is a strong Republican year? Is it a year where the former president is indicted, but then there's pushback within the electorate, particularly within the Republican electorate? Because right now, you know, his support, as we've talked about on the show before, his support has not changed over the last several months. As, as these indictments have, have piled up, there really has not been any change in his support in national polls. It, there hasn't been much change in some of these early state polls. So, you know, if, if, even if they disagree, even if a Republican member of Congress disagrees with what the president, former president is saying on the campaign trail, they may be reluctant to, to speak out because they can see that there's a strong portion of their electorate that, that is still fully on board with the former president. So I think it's an ongoing calculation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have just a few seconds, but Wayne, do you see it the same way, that Republican members of Congress uh, still hesitate to speaking out more strongly, even if they would feel uh, that this uh, may be a threat to democracy? I think we have all sorts of evidence that that's correct, uh, that that they're watching things very closely and and watching their electors very closely, and uh, if if they if they see that Trump is still going o- over well with their electors, uh, they're not going to say anything uh, contrary to Trump. Okay, we'll be back with more analysis from Wayne Moyer of Grinnell College and Chris Larimer of the University of Northern Iowa. When we do come back, we'll talk more about Liz Cheney, hear an excerpt of hers uh, uh, interview with Terry Gross yesterday, um, one of the most strident critics of Donald Trump, of course, in the Republican Party, uh, weighing whether to mount her own third-party candidacy. We'll talk about that when we return. It's River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's a Politics Wednesday edition of River to River. From IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer. On board today with their analysis, political scientists Wayne Moyer of Grinnell College and Chris Larimer of the University of Northern Iowa. Perhaps you caught it yesterday, former Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney on NPR's Fresh Air yesterday uh, uh, telling Terry Gross that she voted to elect Donald Trump as president twice, but that she vows she won't do that again. Um, she has stated she hasn't decided whether she will run for president in 2024, but she says she will do everything she can to stop Trump. Let's listen to a portion of that interview uh, where Cheney shares her insight as to the future of the Republican Party. I think that that there are two two things that have to happen. One is in the near term, the defeat of Donald Trump. Um, The second thing is um, either building a new party or, uh, you know, bringing the Republican Party back from the the abyss of this cult of personality that that is has engulfed it. But that second thing of of 
whether or not it's building a new conservative party or um, rebuilding the Republican Party, that is going to take time. That's not something that can happen before the 2024 election. And frankly, I, I worry that if we focus too much on that, we will take our eye off the ball of the defeat of Donald Trump in 24. So I, I do think um, you know both of those things have to happen, but I think it's a it's a matter of of sequencing and what has to happen in this cycle versus what what can happen after that. Former Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney yesterday on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. Liz Cheney, of course, one of the most strident critics of Donald Trump in the Republican Party. Um, you know, let's let's take the, the point about her weighing to mount a her own third party candidacy for the White House. Uh, Chris, y- your thoughts about how that would impact uh, the current race? Well, it's hard to say how much traction uh, you know her a, a candidacy like that would would have. Um, you know, it's, it would obviously be incredibly difficult for her. I mean, you know, as, as you know, the caucuses primaries are. are Dominated by party activists, if if she would run on the Republican side, um, it, it's unclear how much support there would be f- for that type of campaign within within primaries. Um, so I, you know, th- that would be incredibly difficult. But having said that, you know, if, if she is out there on the campaign trail, uh, talking about the things that she's talked about as far as defeating the the former president, ma- ensuring that he is not the nominee, if that's what she's talking about, then. Um, you know, that's that's going to get attention. That's going to be in the news. Um, but as far as her candidacy, I think that's a, that would be incredibly difficult. We're, we're already seeing right now the difficulty in, you know, for for someone like Chris Christie, someone even to, the you know, like Nikki Haley, to some extent, who was in, in the first debate, one of the individuals who was willing to kind of publicly speak out against the former president's policies, at least on the budget. How difficult that is to 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 move the the needle in terms of what we're seeing in polls. So I think it would be a difficult candidacy for for Liz Cheney at this point. Yeah, I should mention Liz Cheney um, giving a variety of interviews to a variety of media while promoting her new book, Oath and Honor: A Memoir and a Warning. Um, uh, she was defeated by a Trump loyalist in Wyoming last year. Wayne, your your, your thoughts on Liz Cheney? Well, I agree with everything Chris said. I, I would add another thing. If she does run, uh, where will she siphon votes away from? Mm-hmm. Uh, would they just come from Trump? Or would she siphon away some Democrats who are unhappy with Biden? And in a very close election, uh, her being in the race could conceivably, depending on where she siphons more votes, could conceivably make a difference in some key states if they're already very, very close, as it looks like they will be. So um, um, I'm I'm not sure that the effect of her joining the race would be a positive one. Let's talk about Nikki Haley. You mentioned that we are less than 40 days away from the Iowa GOP caucuses on January 15th. Over the last few months, Nikki Haley has gained enough in the polls that she, well, might be on the verge of surpassing Ron DeSantis as uh, the principal rival in uh, the GOP race, admittedly uh, far behind Donald Trump, according to the polls. Uh, Let's listen to a campaign ad uh, that uh, this is uh, what their uh, the Haley campaign says. It's the first ad of the GOP primary this week in the state as part of a $10 million ad buy in Iowa, also in New Hampshire. Uh, 
Previous Haley ads were paid for by her super PAC, SFA Fund, Inc. This 30-second ad includes, so just so you have an idea of the the visuals here, uh, when we'll listen to it, footage of shootings in the street, recent pro-Palestinian protests in front of the White House pictured here as well. Also, the 2018 video of Iranian lawmakers burning a paper U.S. flag in Tehran. Let's listen to the soundtrack. A president must have moral clarity and know the difference between good and evil. Today, China, Russia, and Iran are advancing. There's chaos in our streets and college campuses. Our security is threatened at home and abroad. It's time for a new generation of conservative leadership. We have to leave behind the chaos and drama of the past and strengthen our country, our pride, and our purpose. I'm Nikki Haley, and I approve this message. Wayne, your thoughts on this ad and the overall messaging coming out of the Nikki Haley campaign, reverting to her role as a Trump critic, warning voters we cannot have four years of chaos, vendettas and drama uh, there in a reference to the White House years uh, and also saying America needs a captain who will steady the ship, not capsize it. Um, um, she has said she would not praise dictators and would have the backs of our allies. They're um, distinguishing herself from the former president, Wayne. Well, I, I think she certainly has already made headway or make more headway among Republicans who are not happy with Trump. But there, I think there is a, a serious problem of the, the size of the Trump base, the large size of the Trump base. And I'm just wondering uh, if she has any appeal to that group at all uh so she would could, could be a niche candidate or get get gets a, a a part of the republican vote but will she be able to mobilize enough of the republican vote to get uh the nomination which i think is will be very difficult mm-hmm. chris even though trump remains far ahead in the polls of the republican race do you see a path for haley to gain momentum should she come in you know uh, winning over ron DeSantis as a uh, second in the, the gop uh, caucuses here in iowa heading into the final weeks uh, with new hampshire and then south carolina on the roster yeah it's clear that uh you know the the campaign storyline right now is about the momentum of the the nikki haley campaign um and and you know in contrast to what we're seeing in iowa with with the ron DeSantis campaign where yes he's received the endorsement of bob Vanderplot's governor kim reynolds but his super PAC that never backed down there there continues to be staff turnover there and so there's movement there for the haley campaign we've seen that in polling and as we all talked about before the iowa caucuses are all about expectations and so if nikki haley would exceed expectations in terms of finishing second in iowa um and perhaps in a closer than expected second to to donald trump that would certainly give her momentum coming out of iowa she's pulling ahead of ron DeSantis in new hampshire she's pulling well ahead of ron DeSantis in south carolina so there would be a path to momentum the question is is that a path to a legitimate um, challenge to to donald trump for the nomination and the, the, the other part here, too, is to remember that we've seen this in past caucus cycles where candidates have momentum, but the, the challenge has always been sustaining it, right? So if you go back to, the say, the 2012 cycle on the Republican side, Michelle Bachman comes out in the summer of 2020, 2012. She has momentum in June and July, right? And then it, then Rick Perry announces, and he has momentum and moves to the head of, in polls in August and September. 
Then Herman Cain moves to you know ahead in the polls in October, and then it's Newt Gingrich in November of 2012 or 2011, excuse me, with with all the momentum, and he's ahead in the polls. And it's not until December of 2011, and then the very first days of January of 2012, where it's Rick Santorum and Mitt Romney who are leading in the polls, and they're the ones who finish in that close finish on caucus night. So it you know we've seen where momentum can cycle pretty quickly for these candidates. So I think the challenge for Haley right now is sustaining that momentum for the next 6 weeks because she does have leads in New Hampshire and South Carolina and she also just received the endorsement from the Koch brothers for the Americans American for Prosperity where there that's a lot of money behind that and a lot of donors. So there's there is momentum there for her. It's whether she can sustain it and is it enough to actually have that challenge to Trump, who still leads by, you know, 30 plus percentage points? Yeah. And unlike those previous election cycles, uh, Chris, we have in this election cycle on the Republican side, uh, essentially, uh, we have an incumbent running for the nomination. That makes a huge difference, doesn't it? It, it absolutely does. And what we've seen in polls is that, you know, his supporters, uh, you know, have their minds made up more so than supporters of the other candidates. And yeah. that you know their support has not moved over the last couple of years it has not moved in in spite of all the indictments and everything else going on with his campaign mm-hmm. well let's talk about Rand, ron DeSantis. on saturday he took the stage in jasper county here in iowa he heralded his, his appearance as the culmination of his tour of the state's 99 counties known as the full grassley uh he's hoping of course to inject enthusiasm into his well-funded campaign, but struggling campaign. Uh, we had, as you mentioned, Chris, uh, the Iowa evangelical leader, Bob Vanderplatz, endorsing him. We have Kim Reynolds some weeks ago announcing her uh, support. Uh, let's listen to uh, DeSantis uh, in Jasper County on the weekend uh, saying that his willingness to visit every county should show voters that he considers himself a servant, not a ruler. You're not any better than the people that you that you uh, are elected by. Uh, you come from the people, and you're supposed to serve their interests. And you don't put yourself above uh, and try to govern for your own self-interest. The other thing you see when you're, and it doesn't matter what part uh, of Iowa you're in, and I've seen this uh, in all the other parts of the country as well, I don't know that we've ever had a bigger gap between what we see out of the elites in New York and D.C. and in the media and in politics than the rest of the American people. Uh, These guys just don't care about you. Uh, They are not governing with your best interests at heart. They have their own agenda, and they are pursuing that agenda. That is why they would leave Americans stranded in Israel, and a governor of Florida has to send planes to rescue people back, which we did, which is fine. Part of what Ron DeSantis said on stage in Jasper County on Saturday, the culmination of his uh, 99-county tour here in Iowa. Wayne, how do you evaluate his campaign at this point? Uh, I think think he's got great difficulties, Uh, certainly um, probably doing better in Iowa than uh, in, in many other places. But I'm not sure that just going to one more county, finishing the full 99, is going to make very much difference. Um, And uh, clearly the momentum is going against him now uh, rather than for him. And so I I think he's he's going to have a very hard time uh, 
yeah, I think even against Nikki Haley at this stage of the game. Mm-hmm. Wayne, why do you think Ron DeSantis has lost momentum, is slipping back here? Is it uh, his messaging? Is it uh, his uh, just him as a person, uh, as he comes across at these rallies and on the media? Um, I, I, I think a part of it is his personality. Uh, he, 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 I've not seen him myself. I, I get the sense he's not charismatic. Um, I'm not sure that the way he's talking about issues is resonating uh, very effectively with uh, with voters. Um, in in a way, he's he's trying to he's running as a moderate and sort of a to try to appeal to the Trump vote. But I I I doubt very much whether he will attract very much of the Trump vote. Okay, well, we've run out of time. Thank you very much. Wayne Moyer, Rosenfield Professor of Political Science at Grinnell College. Chris Larimer, Professor of Political Science at the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls. Thanks for coming into our Cedar Falls studio, Chris, and thank you both for your analysis. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. River to River today, produced by Samantha McIntosh with help from Phil Moss, Tony Daner, and Kate Perez. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.